Good morning, everyone, and a Merry Christmas. Uh, this might go horribly wrong, but I'm going to try anyway. Can everybody who can unmute your microphone? And after three, I'm going to ask if we can all wish each other a Merry Christmas. One, two, three. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Fabulous. Suitably chaotic. <laughs> Welcome to our worship this morning. Um, I'm leading our worship um, and later on in the service, Nancy will be sharing a reflection with us. It's once again, lovely to see all of your faces and good to be together on Zoom. I hope you'll stay for a chat in the breakout rooms after the service, um, especially since, as I've just been admitting to some folks before the service, um, I failed to work out how to join a breakout room until quite late on last week um, but now I've, I've worked out how to do it so it'll be nice to chat to folks. There aren't really um, anything in the way of um, announcements this week, um, it's a, a quiet um, a quiet season for us. Um, our midweek conversation group is taking a wee break this week and we'll resume on the 9th of January when we'll have a chat about topics for the next couple of months so it will be a good time to join us if you haven't joined that group before. As I said, this festive period has been a quiet one for us, so these are all our notices. We still ourselves, finding a moment of calm in this busy season as we come to worship our incarnate God. Precariously setting a candle very close to a sleeping cat. I apologise for her snores. When Jesus is born to Mary and Joseph, God is there. When Jesus is presented at the temple, God is there. When Simeon holds Jesus in his arms, God is there. When Anna recognises Jesus, God is there. This morning, God is here. And in the future we cannot yet see, God is there. Let us worship God. As you'll have already noticed this morning, I'm the any excuse for some more Christmas carols. So we join together in singing Joy to the World. And uh, just a fair warning to begin with, this version doesn't have an introduction. So we're straight in. Joy to the world. The Lord is come, let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare in room, and heaven and nature and sing, and heaven and nature sing. We join together in prayer, ending with the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. It takes faith beyond imagining to come to hear this story. If your life feels too difficult to be made sense of by an ancient memory of angels and wise men and old, tired men guided by the Spirit of God to come meet a baby. 
It takes faith beyond all imagining to come to hear this story when you know that it will be a greater miracle than any virgin birth for love to be born right now in our world. The alleluias that we sing this morning are not meant to try to drown out the truth of the world, but they are to acknowledge and give thanks that we continue to be held in God's love. God of love, there is light in our lives because of your steadfast love, a love so vast and so deep that you became one of us. May we live within this love and may we share its light with a world where too many dwell in darkness. We join in the words of the Lord's Prayer in whichever language or version comes most naturally to us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
I'm going to start by asking everyone how their Christmas was. Now, don't feel that you you need to answer, but I'm sure that we all had very different Christmases from each other. Um, if you want to put something in the chat, the chat is open. Um, and I'll keep a wee eye on it. I am, by my own admission, not very good at Christmas, which is one of the reasons why I try to keep a long Christmas. So um, I was very disappointed when I got went into work on Friday and all of the Christmas decorations were already down in our office um, because they've been up since far too early. I think they might have predated um, Advent this year. Um, I like to try to keep the 12 days of Christmas if I can, because it gives me more time um, to try to, to capture something of this season. I hope you all find some peace and joy no matter how you spent the day. Some of you know that George and I spent Christmas together with some friends in Castle Douglas. We had a quiet Christmas um, and a quiet Boxing Day, um, grown-ups only, followed by a crazy couple of days when our friends' kids um, came home and blew through the house like a tornado. Um, it was really lovely to see them, but going back to work on Friday felt like um, I was going back to work for a rest. Um, I want to tell you a wee story about one thing that happened over Christmas. And looking around, I, I would like to start this story by saying to not judge me, <laughs> because uh, um, I, I was hoping that there would be uh, some more children here to hear this story. Um, it makes it doesn't paint me in the best light as a grown up. On Boxing Day, we went for a walk with our friend Emma and her brother Jamie. We thought that it was a short walk. We were aiming for about half an hour, 45 minutes. We got spectacularly lost um, and ended up walking about four and a half miles, which was not our intention. Um, on our long walk, our talk turned to how we might use up some of the leftovers, um, the leftovers that were the inevitable result of six adults trying to be helpful and just picking up a few extra bits at the shop just on our way down. We had way more than we needed. Someone, uh, we think it was George, I'm going to blame George anyway, suggested that we put the extra full Yule log that we had that hadn't been eaten to good use by making some Yule log toasties. So that's a slice of Yule log in between two slices of white bread on Emma's new toasty maker. The idea quickly evolved um, to a full-blown uh, tournament-style Yule log competition, Yule log toasty competition, for George's birthday, which is on the 27th of December. So another question to ponder. If you were given free reign in the big Tesco, what extra ingredients would you add to white breads and Yule log to make a perfect sweet Christmas toasty? So no cheese would be my, my first suggestion. So um, I did not participate in the Yule log toasty competition because I was a judge. So I had the job to sit down with Gabriella, aged six, and Benjamin, aged nine, to come up with our judging criteria. We settled on taste, um, appearance or look, if you're six and you can't spell the word appearance, um, 
originality that was what i what i wanted to to call it benjamin wanted this category to be uniqueness and gabriella wanted to call it best ingredients because she thought she stood a chance of spelling best ingredients and then we had a bonus point for best name so our entries were a strange lime marmalade concoction called the zinger you can imagine how that went well how how well that went down with a 6 year old um one that was based almost solely around the inclusion of peanut butter and that was called santa's snickers and one with the addition of marshmallows uh, brushed with uh, melted butter and dipped in cinnamon sugar and cut into rounds using a cookie cutter because george was really going for it and that one was called you'll be wanting s'more she was very proud of that. Unfortunately for George, our friend Beth, who will henceforth be known as the competitor representing St. Mary's Cathedral, was victorious. Um, George lost because of what she's been calling ever since peanut butter politics. Um, a nine-year-old judge really loves peanut butter, and this gave Beth what George considers to be an unfair competitive advantage, although she did get the bonus point for the name. I've been thinking a lot about Yule Log Toasties this week. I think more than anyone has ever thought about Yule Log Toasties in the course of human history. And I was thinking about Yule Log Toasties yesterday afternoon when it started to snow really heavily um, in the early afternoon. And I don't know whether it was snowing where you were, but uh, it was really coming down more heavily than I've seen for a long time um, in the West End. And I love watching snow falling um unless i'm i used to ski about 20 years ago i used to hate it when it snowed when i was skiing but at all other times if i'm inside and i'm cozy i love to watch snow falling each snowflake unique each one of us is unique each of our experiences of christmas this year were unique each yule log toasty was unique and um, at a stretch perhaps an expression of the creativity that we have been given by the God who patterns each snowflake. Some verses from the psalm for today, from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon, praise him, you shining stars. Praise the Lord from the earth, fire and hail, snow and frost. Stormy wind, stormy wind, fulfilling his command. We sang the next song um, together for the first time during Advent, and it happens to be based on the lectionary psalm for today, which I just shared a short selection from. So I thought it would be good to sing it again. Reaches of heaven, starry heights, lights of the evening, dancing in silent skies. Brilliance of morning, breaking day. Oh, let them praise him, praise his name. Isaiah 61.10 I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with 
garments of salvation and arrayed me in the robes of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorned his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her juice. Isaiah 62, 3 You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Luke 2, 22-40 When the time came for the purification, rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentile and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him.
can I just say how much I've appreciated all who've led our services and offered reflections over these last months. Like Neil Kennedy, I've never used lectionary before. I don't think it was on the curriculum when Douglas was at the Scottish Baptist College, and I never heard him mentioning it either. Using it was a bit like being a pointless contestant, and at the final round, they choose something and then hope that it will open up something that they'll recognise. And that's what happened with this, with the readings that came in. And I'm so glad that we have been singing Psalm 128 um, because it's so full of praise and just I couldn't include it in the readings. The part of the scripture that Esan wrote really um, spoke to me. The first verse said, he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. And clothes are something that are fairly basic and fairly common and something that we can all relate to. It took me back to liberty bodices and hand-me-downs, sometimes even from my big brother. And it's something that even as youngsters you relate to. I remember as a six-year-old child being taken to a, um, a mannequin parade uh, at the local church, and I was given a dress to wear. It was a red gingham dress, and I, was, I felt so pretty in it, and it was lovely. And I did my twirl and went off the stage. And then I had to hand back the, the dress, and I was so disappointed. I just I'm sure it marked me for life as far as clothes were concerned. Clothes habits seems to develop quite young. Um, one of our boys, I remember, he used to come in from nursery when he was three years old. And he would go straight up the stairs and he would take off his T-shirt and put on a clean one because he couldn't possibly eat his lunch with the same T-shirt that he had been running about with other children with. And he's still very fussy about his clothes. And it wasn't something that he learned from us, but he just, obviously, it was something that affected him. Obviously, Isaiah is not talking about clothes like that. He's talking about spiritual clothes. He talks about garments of salvation. And the psalmist talks about clothes. He talks about God's clothes. Oh Lord my God, he says, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself with light as with a garment. And that really spoke to me. Earlier this week I caught a bit of Charles, King Charles's coronation when it was part of his year, of his first year as king. And part of it showed him being dressed in his robes, very symbolic, very impressive, but nothing compared to this majesty and splendor that God's clothes are talked about. They speak of God's greatness and his royalty and authority. And that's really good for us to remember in our troubled world when we wonder who is pulling the strings. O oh Lord my God, you are very great. 
he wraps himself in light as with a garment. That's the other thing. God is clothed in light. The ultimate high visibility jacket, you might be giving direction, providing safety and security. Light was the very first thing that was created. And the very last chapter of the Bible assures us that in heaven there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light. He wraps himself in light as with a garment, and all of creation is wrapped in light. Jesus is called the light of the world. Light speaks of hope. We talk of light at the end of the tunnel. With God, we can have light in the tunnel. We're told that during the day, with the sun shining, we can see no further than the Carmen light, where we can see where, where Earth's atmosphere ends and space begins, a distance of about 62 miles. At night, the furthest thing we can see is Andromeda, a collection of a trillion stars lying 2.5 million light years away. Sometimes we need light night seasons to dial down the distractions of the day. One of our members, Jenny, who's with us today, lives in Galloway, and it's one of the dark sky areas of Scotland. And I'm very envious of her because Douglas and I once had a holiday in Northumberland in November, and I'd never seen stars in the sky like I saw it that dark dull night and we turned a corner and it was absolutely ablaze with stars and sometimes we need to lose the light pollution in our lives so that we can marvel at God's creation. I think of God as like the sun, bright, brilliant, full of light, dazzling, impossible on a human level. To look at. The moon, on the other hand, has a gentler light. We've been fortunate enough in our generation to see pictures of the moon close up, to see men walking on the moon. Plain, not particularly beautiful, a dusty planet, and yet on a dark night, a full moon can give enough light to let us walk safely and to find our way. All that the moon does is to sit in such a relationship to the sun that its brightness is reflected to us here on earth. I think that's a picture of what God can do to us if we sit in a right relationship with him. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. 
We are like the dusty surface of the moon. But through our relationship with Jesus, we can shine like stars in a dark world. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. One of our sons has bought me clothes as a present since he started working. He leaves it to his wife now, but for years before that, he would bring in something to wear. Now, the only thing is, my son's totally colorblind. All light colors look the same to him. All dark colors look the same. And when I asked him how he managed to choose things that went well together, he said, you went to Marks and Spencer's and saw what the models were wearing and chose something similar. And it worked, and I'm still wearing some of the outfits that he bought. We have a model to be guided by too. Jesus Christ clothed himself in servanthood. Paul said to the church in Philippi, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He took the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus himself said, I am among you as one who serves. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He showed it practically as he washed the disciples' feet, and he said, follow my example. So what should the garments of salvation look like on us? The New Testament gives us a lot of guidance about the clothes we should be modelling. In Colossians we read, Therefore, as God's chosen people, clothe your lives, yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness and patience. And over all these, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Ephesians talks of the uniform we should wear, with the belt of truth buckled round our waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. All references going back to Isaiah and his garments of righteousness. Isaiah also points to the image of a garden. My dad was a gardener and I spent many hours and days in his potting shed as he potted up things to plant. He laid out flower beds and people would admire them and ask for advice about their things. And so it was a very familiar thing to me. In fact, it, when I was in primary one, I wrote something for our school magazine which said, my dad is a gardener. He grows daffodils and tulips. The only thing was tulips was spelled C-H-O-O-L-O-P-S. And... Uh, Although I think, mind you, my English has improved, but my gardening hasn't. Earlier in Isaiah, we read, this is what the Lord says. As the rain and snow come down from heaven, 
and do not return to it without watering the earth, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And certainly we see here in our part of the world, plenty of rain falling, snow yesterday as well. And after a few days it disappears, we don't see where it goes, but we see the results of it as grass grows and flowers appear and plants and shrubs and trees thrive. <clears throat> and so it is with God's word. He can work in our life like that. When Douglas and I travelled around, we often visited gardens, mostly National Trust places. And we loved the colours, the fragrance, the beauty and the stillness. We never tired of it. And that's what happens when we come expose ourselves to God's word, even without being aware of it, whether in church or in private reading. It will make a difference, making us fruitful and beautiful. No wonder Isaiah writes, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of our God. So we turn to the story of Simeon and Anna, which is a very well-known and common thing that we read probably only at Christmas to believe this story. On the first Sunday in Advent, Brian talked about an encounter between Elizabeth and Mary after Mary's visit from the angel Gabriel. Brian used the description, a sliding doors moment. And immediately my ears pricked up because I remember watching the film many years ago and it had a real impression on it because it did make me realise that many things that seem to happen by chance or coincidence might have happened differently and life could have taken a different turn and I'm sure that all of you will have had experiences like that too. After the birth of Jesus, when Mary's time of separation according to the law drew to a close, the family travelled five miles north to Jerusalem for the rites of purification and sacrifice at the temple. There, Jesus, the firstborn son, had to be presented before God in accordance with the law that the firstborn son must be redeemed in memory of God sparing the firstborn of the Israelites at the time of the exodus from Egypt. Mary was also required to sacrifice two doves or pigeons, which Joseph would probably have purchased in the courtyard of the temple. Previously, when I've read the account of Simeon and Anna, I've imagined the young couple with the infant arriving in a small church setting where they would stand out. However, I discovered that the temple and the courtyard is a huge area the size of 22 football pitches. The race course in Paisley is an area that um, you'll not be familiar with, but it's a place in 
which houses many football games. It's quite near the airport and it was also host the World Pipe Band Championships. And then when they used to have a circus, the animals would all be kept there. So it's a, a very busy, lively place. And that's probably about the size that I would imagine. The temple courts would have been swarming with hundreds of paid priests, sacrificers, treasurers, and visitors. How easy it would have been for the young couple to have come, made their sacrifice, and left. We can only speculate and marvel. We are told, moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts and approached the family, recognising that this was the saviour he had been waiting years to see. Anna, we are told, came up to them at that very moment and gave thanks for the promised Redeemer. So what was special about these elderly followers? We're told Simeon was righteous and devout and that the Holy Spirit was on him. Anna was a prophetess, had been a widow for many years. She never left the temple, worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. They were faithful, both in the sense that they never gave up waiting, hoping, expecting God to keep his promise. And also they were open to God's guidance and the prompting of his Holy Spirit. Some things remind me that I am in that category of older category of older people. One of my sons came in a couple of years ago and I had had a leak in my kitchen ceiling and I needed help. And he said, oh, I know someone that can help. So he went through to speak to this person on his phone and he said, I'm just phoning for my wee old mother, which uh, didn't endear him to me at that time. And then my grandchildren, I'd always vowed when I had grandchildren that I would keep up with what they were doing. And the I, they put a thing on my television, they're into computer games and things, and they managed to put one on my TV called Flappy Birds. And all you have to do is guide these birds with the remote control through different obstacles. And sometimes these are static obstacles, and sometimes there's things that come in from outside. And so I was uh, playing with them. Now, they get an average score of 50, 60, 70. I think the highest they've had is 91. If I get two, then they're cheering me. They think this is amazing that I can manage two. And I, I said, but I'm really trying. And why can't I do this? When you get old, Granny, you don't have a such good hand at eye coordination. That's just a fact. So. And then the third thing that happened was people give me books from time to time that they think I'll enjoy. And one of the ones I got recently was called A Good Old Age. So I'm not sure what they were trying to tell me then either. But this book 
was written by Derek Prime, who was minister in the church in Edinburgh when I was baptised over 50 years ago. And he was always a very practical person, and this is a, a very practical guide. And it's uh, got a letter for each letter of the alphabet, it's got advice um, about growing old. And I'm not going to do 26 points with you now, but I just wanted to mention, he talks about being non-judgmental. He talks about being encouraging. He talks about walking in step with spirit. Not losing your zeal and enthusiasm. And it was, uh, I'm sure that it just would have chimed with what Anne, uh, Anna and Cillian were like as we sought to follow God. And the, the main comment on the people who had already read the book was that this is not just for older people, that every generation uh, can benefit from following these practical ways of keeping faith alive. I was listening to the service on Radio 4 this morning. It came from Norwich Cathedral and it was remembering Julian of Norwich who uh, she received visions away about six, 600, 700 years ago. And her one of her great sayings was, all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. And as we come to the end of this year, as we look forward to a new year, it's a great thing to keep in our mind as we come to the end of the service and as we sing this hymn, All Will Be Well.
And so in response to our reflections this morning, we come with our prayers for others and for ourselves. Let us pray. Throughout the year which has passed, bidden or unbidden, God has been present. Present in the billions of acts of generosity and kindness that have transformed someone's day. Present in the global and local organisations which challenge political policies, which result in poverty and injustice, bit by bit, changing lives for the better. Present in the families, communities, and organisations which provide safe places for children and adults to develop fulfilling lives. Present in all who contribute to the common wheel, who rise above self-centred interests and aspire to healthy communities, which can be a source of fullness of life for all. And God has been present too in the personal experiences of our common lives. In our times of great happiness, when we are bereaved, when we have to cope with illness, when we face individual challenges known only to us. In silence, let us give thanks. But God is present too and weeping in a world where humankind does not treat others as they treat themselves, where God does not treat others as they themselves would wish to be treated, where humankind ignores the need for peace founded on justice, and where humankind still chooses to ignore the interconnectedness of all creation. In silence, we reflect. For those whom, for whom the advent of this new year brings no peace or joy, for the troubled countries and people groups in every part of the globe, may the justice and peace of God descend like a dove upon these lands. For those for whom there will be no New Year celebrations because of the continuing aftermath of natural disasters, many the result of human action or inaction. For those hundreds of millions currently in the midst of war. For those scrabbling for a pittance of food to keep body and soul together. For those who found little warmth in the doorway or the dark alley, for those addicted to the habit of drink and drugs, for all victims of domestic violence, and for those for whom anxiety and ill health has blighted this stage of life. In silence, 
we remember and we reflect. And in the final Sunday of this year, we reflect again, as we always do, on the prayer points provided to us from BMS World Mission. And for this coming week, we focus, for the BMS World Mission focus is on gender justice. We're invited to pray that gender equality becomes the air that we breathe. Specifically, we are invited to pray for BMS local partners as they respond to the BMS Gender Charter, Charter and that the, these partners will be open to considering their own gender theology. And in a world where gender-based violence remains endemic, we're invited to remember the BMS safeguarding and training programmes in Uganda and Nepal. Unless we fall into the trap of thinking that this is only an issue in other places, we prayerfully confront the fact that there is gender-based violence in our own society and in our faith communities here in Scotland. In silence, we reflect. For this Sunday, there is nothing in the Baptist Union of Scotland prayer calendar for specific church communities. So let us simply remember our union as a whole. On the threshold of a new year, may our eyes be opened to the wonder of the daily blessings and miracles around us and may our sense of mystery be deepened. May we be aware of the light that shines in the darkness and which the darkness can never extinguish. May we be blessed with companions on the journey, friends who will listen to each other and encourage each other with their presence. May we learn to live with what is unresolved in our hearts, daring to face the questions and holding them until one day resolution arrives. May each of us find the still quiet place within us where we can know and experience the peace that passes all understanding. May love flow in us and through us to those who need our care. And may we continue to dream dreams and to reach out into the future with a deeper understanding of God's way for us all. Where our prayers lead, may our footsteps follow. Amen.
a blessing for the new year. May wonder find a home in your heart and dance with you to unexpected places. May joy find a home in your heart and weave a sacred rhythm throughout your life. May stillness find a home in your heart, forging a peace that reassures that all will be well. May the ebb and flow of life be a daily gift, offering solace in times of pain and celebration in times of joy. And may God let you see what others may miss, promise cradled in every wonder, the flow of life shaping a sacred story. May you, like Simeon and Anna, recognise at day's end a promise, a gift of love, freshly born in the world. Amen.